It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Welcome to another edition of the Friday Times Opinion Podcast. My name is Tim Montgomery and it's our review of the election week. And joining me this week, yet again, Daniel Finkelstein, our columnist, Faith Schlesinger, our home editor and Phil Webster, who has been writing so many red box political emails. I don't know whether you're paid um, a piece rate or a salary, Phil, but perhaps you would prefer would a piece nice. rate at that the moment. Nice. But it's been fantastic output. And anyone who doesn't subscribe to your email, how, how can they get hold of them? They can subscribe by going to thetimes.co.uk forward slash red box forward slash sign up. Okay, well, we're easy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's free. You don't even it's have free. to be a Times subscriber it's free. to... It's free and um, we're heading towards 40,000. Wow, 40,000 subscribers. Yeah. And, and, it, and, it is, and it is a brilliant service. Faye, let's start with you. What was your moment of this election week, please? Well, as I'm starting, I have to say um, Thursday night's non debate debate where you had the three main party leaders lining up one after one after each other to debate with the audience back to back rather than face to face which I thought was a good way of putting it for me the best moment of the debate was well a few moments when the audience really um, came to the fore this was a I'm from Yorkshire so I'm going to be hourly biased here but this is a fantastic audience Yorkshire, they were really, Yorkshire came out well Yorkshire I came think. out very well they were really forthright and they were angry and you can see why because over and over again with all three leaders, but especially with Cameron and Miliband, they were asking questions that there was just obfuscation to the extent that the audience would remember would then shout back out and say, you have not answered my question. And you got allegations of lying um, out there, you got allegations of, of, of going back on, on one's word, and you could really feel, it felt like quite a moment to me. I'm, I'm not somebody who sits there saying, all politicians lie, they're all lying scum, which is not me. But last night you did share the audience's frustration that over and over again in this, in this um, election campaign, they has been an aversion to the truth. Things like um, the unwillingness to accept that there will not be a majority government. Over and over again, every audience member in that in that audience knew that there will be no majority government, and yet you've got leaders sitting there saying, oh, but we're trying for a majority. And how can you have an adult, grown-up conversation about these things when there is this lack of willingness to accept the truth, basically? Yeah. So that my moment will be the kind of the people standing up for, um, for the truth in this, um, in this election. Did you think, actually, it was a better format than the head-to-head and the leaders debates with that we, we've seen previously because there has been all this controversy that we haven't had the head-to-head between Ed Miliband and David Cameron etc but actually the head-to-head public to politicians I thought it was a superb 
format. It was it was a really good hour and a half of TV. Um, and Cameron himself said, "I debate, you know, Miliband have debated him 146 times in the Commons and Prime Minister's questions. And actually, this is the time when I get to take to speak to the public. And I actually agreed with him on that. I mean, in some ways, they came across very." personal people and they were immediately put on the spot there was no there was no nice easy way in with a nice easy question to start with you know uh, Clegg's first question was you know you lied on um, on uh, tuition fees yeah. how can we ever trust you again and he 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 was immediately thrown. It was quite interesting, you know. Even he gave pretty good performance, but he was kind of immediately said, oh, "It's quite difficult to um, good good easy question to go in on." I think he mm. said, and and it was an audience that was not there was no let up. They were sharp. They were they were on the ball. They pushed in a way that Dimbleby did, then didn't need to push. Uh, David Dimbleby was um, the host of the event, and he sort of let the audience do that journalistic pushing. I thought it was very mm. good. We might feel Webster begin to stray on some of people's answers to the next set of questions but you wrote in uh, Friday morning's Redbox email that um, you wrote for example about Ed Miliband's words on not doing any kind of deal with the SNP we also had David Cameron saying he would not go into government unless he got the EU referendum it wasn't just sort of some good theatre some quite significant things were said last oh, yes, uh, I, on Thursday I, night I, as well I, I felt the the audience was as good as any Paxman or Humphreys they actually managed to get more out of the leaders than any interview so far so we we had Miliband going further than before uh, we know where he stands on a deal, but here was him saying he'd rather not have a government if it meant a deal. So he, the rhetoric was upped. But we also had Did Cameron. Come from the audience, or was I mean, both the, of those interventions that that almost was, like that they could have were, been planned? That yeah. was probably planned. But I think both Miliband and Cameron admitting they might not win outright came from the audience pushing them. Mm. And it came, at the end of Cameron, he said, right, OK, well, look, if I don't get it, if I don't make it, I'll do the right thing. He's not said anything like that during the campaign. Miliband started off with the pretense that he might get a majority government, but he quickly dropped it, and he was talking about who he would talk to, who he wouldn't, and whether he would do a deal with the SNP. This was audience probing. I think the audience was well organised. Mm -hmm. um, we know they were political supporters of different parties. There may have been, a, there may have been an element of organisation. There's nothing wrong with that. Politicians mm -hmm. prepare for interviews. Why shouldn't the audience? Uh, but I, I, I thought the conservative questioners were particularly good mm. and, and tough with their, their questions, and they came back well. Yeah, I think I'd have been better at being a member of the audience than being one of the party leaders, though. I mean, I, it's quite a lot easier to ask the questions than it is to answer them. So there was that guy who asked the question about the National Health Service. And if he'd given that as an answer, his party would have dropped to about 2% in the polls. Uh, you know, the NHS is completely unsustainable. Yeah, yeah. As a question, it sounded like brilliant personal pressing. So it is a lot easier to do that um, than it is to... That, that, uh, that, that Elizabeth, I can't remember her surname there. The, from, thank you, Faye. From the from uh, Leeds, the businesswoman who harangued Ed Miliband Maybe four times. She was fantastic. But, I think a star in the making there. But I'm afraid that um, being a politician does actually re um, require you to make some decisions about what you are going to say and what you are not going to say, what, you're going to, what hairs you're going to set running, what hairs you are not going to set running. Mm. Uh, and you have to decide electorally you're going to take some hit from not saying something and people think you're with not withholding information rather than take a hit for saying something that uh, lots of people are going to take offence to and then closing down your options later. Those are all calculations that anybody in the audience would have to make and the politicians have to make them too. And it's just professional to have to do that. But with that question, Danny, on the NHS that the gentleman asked in the audience, his point was not really... It was something that Cameron didn't really take on. It was about... He was saying that if you 
keep pouring money into the NHS, that's not enough. What he didn't quite say, but I think he was getting at, was don't we need a new structure or a new format? Or, you know, do we need to be... We've got an ageing population. And Cameron didn't really... Okay, so partly because when the Conservative Party set about giving a new organisation to the National Health Service, it was a fiasco uh, because people don't want it. So he wanted it, and it's a perfectly good intellectual question, uh, but it would have been extremely unpopular to say yes to his answer. Uh, And yet he was asking it, it seemed quite tough, so you didn't want to also say no. All I'm saying is that it's much easier to to ask a question or even to hold a view than it is to command a a majority. That's why we're journalists and not (laughs) MPs. Um, Phil Danny, was this your moment of the week as well, the debate, or do you have different? Not mine. I, well, a little bit. Uh, okay. Can I choose two, Tim? They are connected to well, each I'm other. I'm not sure about uh, that. They're connected to each other. And you're, uh, uh, <laughs> you can't have two before Phil's <laughs> had one. They're, they're connected <laughs> to each other. Uh, one of them was David Cameron saying that he supported West Ham, or so, uh, using West Ham uh, as he spoke. Previously, Aston Villa supporting yes. David And the Cameron. other was Ed Miliband tripping as he left um, oh, and fell off okay. the stage. Um, both of those um, two moments were the sort of accidents that can happen to anybody I think I'm on balance more likely to fall off the stage than I am to say give the wrong football team uh, other people are the other way around at the end of the election one of them will be largely forgotten the other will be remembered depending who wins mm. and if Ed Miliband loses I suspect the stumble off the stage will become something that we see over and over again it may be that we see it anyway but I suspect we'll see it and it will be an accompaniment to him uh, the whole time if David Cameron loses and it, people want to have a narrow around authenticity they'll use the West Ham example I defended David Cameron on the West Ham because I've had a lot of football conversations with him and I know he supports Aston Villa and he's never claimed to support it more than he does but um, it would be wrong then for me not to point out that anyone can stumble and it doesn't mean anything either and uh, yet I think these will become big narratives and so it will be silly to pass them by and not think actually those will be some of the things we remember from the election campaign and also they're refreshingly off grid you know this entire election campaign has been so and I use the term grid because it's something that's used within politics and it, and it says that we're going to release this policy on Monday, this policy on Tuesday and this on Wednesday and it's all organised and this has been an election campaign that's been marked I think by everything being on grid you know most of the papers have run each day with whatever's been announced that yeah. day and these tiny little nuggets that we get of off grid and happenings like West Ham and like the stumbling I, d- I did feel sorry for Ed Miliband stumbling because um, I was, the, those who saw the programme, um, they were all stood on this big queue <laughs> it's quite and hard. there was that little dash <laughs> you know, at the bottom of the queue and David Cameron stood on the little tail of the O for quite... Well, they should have practised on a cue. I thought he's going to step back a minute and he's going to fall over. So <laughs> when Ed Miliband stumbled, I wasn't entirely it, surprised. It was the Neil Kinnock <laughs> slipping into the sea moment. It was, well, it was. That, <laughs> and that, that, that's still used. So um, I think Daddy's right. A lot here will depend on the result. My moment uh, was late on Wednesday night. Redbox retires early because it has to get up early, but I do occasionally... Very, very early. <laughs> I do occasionally sneak a look at my iPhone late on and I notice what the Guardian... Was Other spru- mobile phones are available. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed what the Guardian was splashing on. Now, Danny Alexander is one of the nicest guys I know in politics. Uh, in fact, he used to play in my cricket team, the, the team I captain. He's a left arm over, medium pace. Good? Not, not, not Good bad. Player? Not bad, not bad. But he is the nice guy of the Lib Dems. He's the sort of school swat of the Lib Dems. He's not the sort of guy you expect to get up to um, bad things. And here he was, leaking cabinet discussions to The Guardian. And I thought, this is absolutely marvellous. This does prove that within every... Marvellous or outrageous? No, marvellous. I thought within every politician, 
including Danny, there is this touch of mischief, the cunning, knowing mm. that you can be a bit naughty sometimes because it helps you. And he obviously did it thinking it would help both to raise the profile of the Lib Dems and, and as a last-ditch effort in his seat where he's in big trouble from the SNP. So that was my moment, the moment mm. Danny became a little bit naughty. How, how vulnerable in the last week of the campaign, Phil, are the Tories on this welfare cuts question? They've, they've said they're going to cut welfare by... 12 billion. They've only really identified 1 billion now because the first cut is going to be a lot smaller because of the reduction yep. in inflation. How worried are people on benefits potentially going to be by this unknown axe potentially falling on them? Well, the, the Danny Alexander has provided the narrative for the Liberal Democrat and Labour campaigns for the last week, and there's nothing really that they can go on now other than this. Um, this will be their big campaigning issue. Ed Miliband set off immediately after the debate to go up to Scotland and, mm. and talk about bedroom tax and all that kind of stuff. He's running around the country talking about the bedroom tax. Benefits are back on the agenda. Because in, in 39th's debate, he David Cameron didn't quite rule out changes to no. child he benefits. Said, he yeah. said one child, two he child, and significantly didn't say three <laughs> child, four child, for That's example. That's right. And he, he also used the phrase, this is something I don't want to do. Uh, that is hardly a hard and fast ruling out. And of course, uh, you, you know, Labour will keep coming back at the Conservatives because they promised not to put up VAT mm. and they ended up VAT. And we know that Ian Duncan Smith came forward with those proposals. They're, nobody's denying that. Eight billion. They're looking for 12. Where on earth are they going to get them mm, mm. if they can't go back to the ideas that were floated in that document by Ian Duncan Smith? Mm. Clearly they will have to look at them again. If, the, if Cameron wins an outright majority he may well be able to do it. But if he's in another coalition he won't be able to. Come to you first on uh, this one, Danny, we might overlap a little bit, but who who had a good week for okay. you? So for the first, you only time, allowed one answer this time, okay? <laughs> for the first time in this series, I would say the answer to that was David Cameron. So I thought both in terms of the uh, speech he made earlier in the week, in which he was uh, passionate, actually not funny enough, something that I've been particularly calling for him, but I know a lot <laughs> concerns a lot of people, and it's helped his narrative. And then last night, with what I think was his definitely his best performance of the campaign, was confident, was clear, and I think there is some possibility that. The Conservative Party has gained what William Hay correctly uh, started by describing as the big mo, and then said was the small mo, and then said was just mo. Um, <laughs> and I think that that's probably um, a, a correct judgment. It, I think it would be wrong to get hysterical about any of the things that I've said and uh, freight them with too much significance. But I would say it was definitely a good week for him. Although whether it really was, again, we'll discover at the end of uh, the week. Yeah, not long now. Faye, was David Cameron had a good week for you, or have you got a different choice? I've got a different one, but still a Tory. Um, I'm going to say Ruth David. Um, the leader mm. of the Tories in Scotland. The, it's all, um, for me, encapsulated in this fantastic picture we ran in the Times on, I think, Wednesday. The bingo picture. Leaping. Yeah. In a bing She's yeah. doing a hop, skip and a jump in a bingo hall in Leith. She, mm. This woman is so much fun. She is, she's sharp, she's, she's young, she's different, she's compassionate, mm. she is making waves in uh, Scotland. Obviously, she's not, her party's not going to do well up there, but I think she'll come through the other side. We've got to know her in this election campaign for the first time. And I think, you know, her future seems quite bright. She seems a really interesting person, and, mm. and I'm looking forward to kind of seeing more of her going forward. Well, um, I should say to those of you who are listening, and uh, if you are a Times subscriber, and uh, I hope you are, if you do go to thetimes.co.uk slash comment central, I'll put the link up there so that you can subscribe to Redbox, which might be easier for those of you who aren't subscribed to that. But I'll also 
post that picture that Faye has mentioned of Ruth Davidson and also an article that Matthew Paris wrote last Saturday extolling her virtues as well. Who's your good we? Have we, have we uh, gazumped you or have you got a yeah, different person? No, I was person? going to say Ruth, but I'd, I'd got a reserve and uh, the reserve <laughs> is uh, Nick Clegg. I think he's had a good week because he's given his party more visibility. Um, whether he got Danny to do the league or not, who knows? I but should I should imagine they discussed. I, I, I would think <laughs> I would think they discussed the implications of this enormous breach of cabinet confidentiality. But he learnt from Lord Ashcroft that he's now only one point behind in his Sheffield Hallam seat. Um, there is confidence within the Lib Dems that he will hold on to that seat if necessary. I'm sure he'll be able to borrow some votes of the Conservatives up there. The Lib Dems were on the front pages. They were on the front page of the Times, uh, a story suggesting that uh, a lot of Lib Dems weren't keen on another coalition with the... How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Tories, Clegg himself went out and said he shared the weariness reflected in that article. Mm. But then he had the big bombshell from Mr. Alexander, and that's kept them up there all week. And he, 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 did a, he had a decent run mm. in the debate Although I, th- I thought some of the questions to him were, were the, mo- the more unpleasant of the evening. Mm. He, sh- he showed a little bit more irritation, I thought, mm. to some of the audience than Ed Miliband and David Cameron. Yeah. I, th- I thought that was a bit risky. And overall, the ICM poll, you'd probably expect it. He, he got 19 points, I think, whereas uh, it was 44 to 38 overall Cameron to, to Miliband. Um, you've been gazumped once, um, Phil, let's make sure you can't be gazumped on question three. Who, who, who had a bad week? I don't think anybody would have chosen this. This is a bit left field. I'm going to say Nicola Sturgeon's had a bad week. Uh-huh. Um, Interesting. I'll tell you why. She, there's been a poll this week showing that she's going to get a clean sweep in Scotland. That means to me that this is her high point. Politics can never be quite as good as this for Nicola Sturgeon. If she wins two or three seats... Quite, below, a, quite a nice problem to have. It's a nice problem to have. <laughs> but if she wins two or three below, there's going to be a sense of anticlimax. If she does get all 59, there are her MPs down in Westminster. She's not even there herself. Her old um, friend Alex will be running the show. She'll be trying to keep control from Scotland. And as I say, what goes up must come down. And there is absolutely no doubt that in all the elections that follow, we'll see SNP going down. So, as I say, left field, but 
it it could mark the high point of Nicola's career unless she takes Scotland to independence in the second referendum. But that's another question. Danny, who had a bad week for you? Uh, Nigel Farage was my answer. And uh, not for the first time, actually. Um, I think he's had a really poor campaign, particularly against expectations, because he's very good at campaigning. He's got a lot of personality uh, and um, he's got a lot of popular touch. And you would have thought that would provide him with a good campaign. He's being squeezed out of the campaign. Um, Partly that's because uh, his core vote strategy, which was to hit one issue, immigration, over and over and over again, only worked if everyone else played ball uh, and was willing to allow him to uh, drive immigration up the agenda. But I think David Cameron made a decision a little while ago to stop doing that. Uh, And ever since he stopped doing that, Nigel Farage has struggled Mm. for attention. And as I think he's a politician that thrives entirely on attention. So if you take that together with a poll showing that he's having difficulty in South Thanet, polls that showed the Liberal Democrats... UKIP may fall short in uh, lots of the uh, their target seats, many of which we expected, but some of which we didn't. Um, they could end end the uh, campaign very much weaker than they began it. Mm, Douglas Carswell may be the only UKIP MP, possibly, very possibly after That's this election. I, I, I probably get two or three. I, I should. Farage, I would be. I think yeah. Farage will make it. The, the That's poll what I do. That Danny mentions didn't name him no I agree I've I've always thought he would make it but I think that making it in a circumstance in which you've got two or three and haven't run a successful campaign the the, the danger for him we mustn't get obsessed with this one individual poll that Lord Ashcroft produced but the danger for Farage is that it clearly established that Labour was in third place and the Tories were ahead. So if you really are determined to stop Nigel Farage getting in Parliament, the Tories are going to be plastering that opinion poll, Lib Dem, Bar Graph yeah, style, absolutely. all over the constituents yeah. in the final seven days. Whereas when it was a three-horse race, it was easy to see Farage coming through the middle. Faye, bad week. Russell Brand. <laughs> he obviously will have generated even more Twitter followers than I think the 9.5 million he started with mm. before um, he uh, interviewed uh, Ed Miliband in his kitchen. But... Watching the full interview, so it was a 15-minute interview, it was carried out late one night and it was wonderfully tweeted by a neighbour. Again, wonderful off-grid moment where mm. a neighbour of Russell Brand leaning out of her window took a picture of Emily Brand leaving in the, with his entourage and this I hope, car I hope that neighbour sold that picture. I, I think she should made... put it on Twitter. Wonderful. Free. <laughs> um, uh, but the, the full interview, when it was eventually aired, was, was fascinating because you started with Russell Brand spouting exactly the same things he normally spouts about how hopeless it is, uh, the politics in this country, there's no point in voting because because everybody's kind of against mm. the people and they have no voice. And he, he alluded to the suffragettes and how really since then nobody's had a voice. All these points. And by the end of 15 minutes, he got to the point where he was almost kind of staring at Miliband with poppy dog eyes and going, oh, I actually really agree with what you're trying to do with this country. I mean, I think Miliband handled it very well. I think he was quite persuasive, never mind his ridiculous estuary accent where he said, <laughs> got to do this, little people. The mockney. Um, yeah. Uh, but I thought it was interesting that when you actually sat Russell Brand down with a leader of a political party, so quickly could he be turned. You know, mm. it just made, to me, it made him look a bit daft. Faye, stay with you. What, what new thing did we learn uh, this week about the election? So, well, I, Phil has already alluded to this, but um, the, the difficulty um, that will be experienced in forming a Tory Lib Dem coalition was the thing that struck me this week. Mm-hmm. I, I think I'd been going through the campaign thinking... 
a coalition between Lib Dems and Tories or Lib Dem and Labour would be possible and there wouldn't really be that many hurdles to it and and when um, uh, Sam Coates and Michael Savage, our political um, correspondents, wrote our piece in the paper um, laying out those hurdles, you realise just how hard it will be. So the the Lib Dems are going to suffer losses, maybe not quite to the degree that um, we thought, but there will be losses. They're going to move further to the left. They've already had coalition where they've got a lot of stick on the doorstep for that. You know, those who've been long-serving long-serving Lib Dem MPs have got a lot of stick for, for teaming up with um, the Tories and it could be really hard going forward and that to me just threw things into even more uncertainty than we've already had so far. I mean, mm. next week's election results will be absolutely fascinating for that for that, for that that part alone, let alone everything else that's in the mix. Uh, Danny, just on, on, on this question, it, let, let's just have a presume Clegg keeps his seat, the Lib Dems have about 30 MPs and potentially could put Miliband or Cameron into office. Is the supposition that it's much more likely that Clegg will put Cameron back in true? Oh, now, when you use the word much more likely, then the, the answer, I think, is I'm, it, I'm, is, I'm, it I'm, is. For because, a man who deals be- in probability and statistics, you're, you're it, is because, um, it is because I think that um, the, the Labour Party will have to rely on the SNP and Nick Clegg's ruled that out. But do I think that, I think Faye's correct in thinking um, that Sam exposed something that I, actually I'd, I had been uh, concerning me for a long time, which is the question of whether the Liberal Democrats would live with another uh, coalition. They will, of course, be faced with, the, you know, a similar problem to the one last time, which is if they don't, they'll, they'll, they become irrelevant. But then, on the other hand, it'll be a very, the campaign will be a very bruising experience. I think, I think the maths... Uh, the fine maths is going to help to de- define this to some extent as well as their own uh, politics but it's, it was a really really important story um, in, in I think one of phase right one of the most important stories of the campaign not necessarily because it sort of broke something but but in the best time style it sort of analyzed some of the facts out there and presented them in a very very uh, good way and explained to people what the problems were therefore undermining people's suppositions Phil, Phil Webster, I'm so glad that Faye has raised this because it's now very clear that David Cameron is going to insist on the EU referendum mm-hmm. as part of any deal he's almost certainly going to need to deliver the boundary review he couldn't get in this parliament it may not be politically sexy but it's worth potentially 20 seats for the Conservatives. They've got to get it. What is Nick Clegg going to ask for in return? Is he going to revisit Lord's reform? Is it going to be proportional representation in local government? And will Tory MPs be willing to pay that price? You know, this is the high-stakes stuff we could be immersed in within seven yes, or so I days. Mean, you, you were asking what we've learned. I, th- I, I felt what we've learned this week is that Nick Clegg's demands are pretty low he set a pretty low bar and his red lines uh, are basically education spending which both parties would love to be able to deliver i don't see any problem over that and following the middle path on deficit reduction i think he set deliberately low a low bar on the red lines he has not mentioned anything about the eu referendum because he would have known from talking to cameron that that was going to be cameron's red line which again was new last night but, and it's a big but, the, the Lib Dem uh, membership may not want to go along with a deal with the Tories that includes the EU referendum. And Michael Savage, I think, has written about that in The Times. That's something we have to, to bear in mind. A, they, they may take a lot of persuading over a deal in any case. Mm-hmm. It depends who's left. It depends who survives. We'll have to look at the makeup of the, of the Lib Dems when we see them. Uh, but then when we get down to the nitty-gritty of the issues, Europe will be the mm. one that will be 
You will, you, you will need a prominent Lib Dem, though, someone probably of the stature of Vince Cable or Tim Farron in the party, to take Clegg on if you were to convince the membership well, I, to, I vote, think you've to vote any deal down, wouldn't you? I think you've, that, na- you've named the two who hmm. I would think would be at the head of any deal. Uh, at the head of the argument against a Tory coalition mm. as the two or three weeks unwind when they go through this enormous procedure, we're, we're ending up at the federal executive, what they're determined mm. to have this time. Mm. But they could lose. Cable and Farron could lose. OK. Um, we really are now nearly out of time. So what new thing did you learn? Anything well, additional? Would that be...? No, I think that was it. I mean, we, we also... <coughs> we learnt... Um, other things about red lines we 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 seemed to learn last night that uh, that Miliband's red line was his manifesto he uh, he made it absolutely clear during the um, debate that he wasn't prepared to negotiate on his manifesto so that's quite a big red line <laughs> the whole thing um, um, so uh, and, and the rest we've covered. Dan, your think We learnt that, the, that Ed Miliband would be in a lot of trouble in the circumstances which he wouldn't mind being in a lot of trouble in, which is if he becomes Prime Minister. Promising not to do a deal with the SNP is one thing. Uh, thinking that you can govern without any dealing with the SNP is delusional. It's perfectly reasonable for him to think he could become Prime Minister with the SNP voting down mm. the Conservatives and not voting down him. The problem is that the moment he tries to move any, uh, make any policy uh, proposals, with the support of the left of his party and the SNP and it's not right this idea that he's uh, this he, he the, the SNP requires the Tories to vote with him they can basically the bills have an awful lot of detail in in them and they can basically hold him up um, if the Conservative Party is against it not necessarily just by threatening to vote with the Conservatives but by threatening not to vote with him yeah. particularly if they unite with the left of the party which they will okay great column by Phil Collins in Friday's Times on all of this by the way the uh, potential trouble Labour could get themselves into having made the Right, quick fire. Two more questions. Very quick answers. Phil, what should Times readers look forward to in this final coming week? A lively week of campaigning, but the story really starts at about 1am on Friday morning. Oh, that's a uh, cop-out. No, no, no. What Before polling day? Anything before polling yeah. day? Oh, I, I mean, we'll, we'll see the leaders racing round the country many times over, trotting out the the core messages that we've had throughout the uh, the campaign. We'll see, I, I mean... So nothing, nothing really new at this stage. The, it will be the, the, re- the repeating well, of the I, core messages. The most interesting thing for me will be whether this uh, Miliband upping of the rhetoric against an SMP quotes, deal has any impact in Scotland. Their only hope is, in, in terms of getting more seats than Tories mm. is to win some of those that they think they've lost in Scotland. Faith Lessinger? I think that something that hasn't come up very much yet but will become, always does in an election become important in the, the, the few days before the vote is the postal voting side and noises made about unfairness of votes. There's, it's, it's a closer election than we've had in a long, long time. You, there's a lot of areas in the country that have been earmarked as at risk of, of vote rigging and fraud. I think you'll start to see that just in a few days before. And, and there's places where it will matter enormously because, mm. th- as we know, it could come down to a tiny number of marginal seats. This is, this is the end of Morse. In other words, in the next few days, we get to discover whether the late swing, on which the, much of the entire Tory strategy is predicated, the yes, yes, no's come home to the Conservative body or not. And we're going to discover that. It won't be necessarily what's going to happen in the campaign. It'll be trying to pick up what's happening in the doorstep and what's happening in polls. And actually, the rest of it will be pictures to accompany whether that story is happening. It'll be because of things that have happened before this week. And now there's the question... We'll get the big reveal. Is it going to happen or not? Okay, and so the big reveal, final question. 
who is going to be prime minister after all this? Will will that late swing happen, so Danny? There'll be eighty percent to me that the Tories will be the biggest party, and about sixty-five percent that Ed Miliband will be prime minister. You still think Ed Miliband will yeah, be prime well, minister? Yeah, well, I think if you look at all the different things that you put together, uh, and you try and get the Conservative Party to three hundred and twenty-three seats, it's very difficult. Uh, it's not the outcome that I want, obviously, but um, that's not what you asked me. Faye. I've thought all the way through we'd be likely to end up with a Tory Lib Dem coalition that now feels very shaky. I, I still, if I had to, put money on uh, Cameron being Prime Minister next time. Okay. But only just. Now, you were, uh, before the campaign started, Phil, I think you thought Miliband would get there. Do you still think that? Yeah, I, I mean, for the reasons Danny have said, rather than anything else. I mean, uh, he's had a huge setback in Scotland. I don't think we'd be having this discussion had Scotland turned out as it usually does. So I, I, I think that uh, the Tories will end up with a higher number of seats, not that many, maybe 15 more than uh, than Labour, but uh, it may well be that it'll be easier for Miliband to get over the line. As I say, it would have been different, but for Scotland, I think he would have won much easier. Phil, Faye, Danny, you've been brilliant guests. Thank you so much. And thank you to all of you for listening. And thank you for all the feedback that um, I've been getting from people all over the country. Um, it's really great to hear through Twitter and email and even people coming up. We had someone come up to Danny and I just before we, were, we met saying how much they are enjoying uh, this podcast. We're certainly enjoying producing it. And we have a very special podcast on May the 12th. We're going to have a live podcast in the Times building in London Bridge after the election. And if you'd like to come to it, please go to mytimesplus.co.uk slash podcast. Tickets are just £5. And you can see many of the people who have been taking part in this podcast dissecting the election. Thank you to you for listening again. Thank you to Dave McGuire my producer do tune in to our new business podcast that the times has just launched and until tuesday when there'll only be 48 hours to go goodbye thank you for downloading to discover more head to thetimes.co.uk hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.